Welcome, Bird Gang. Just three days now before we see this Cardinals team take the field at State Farm Stadium. Yeah, there won't be fans, but it's still the home opener. The opponent, Washington, presents some unique challenges to the Cardinals' defense, which played high school football on one play, according to defensive coordinator Vance Joseph against the 49ers. We'll talk about it. We'll also talk about Isaiah Simmons' first game, and maybe it wasn't all that bad. Though it did look bad at times. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 313, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2 with Craig Grigalou and Mike Jarecki. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. Murray rolls to the right, throws near side, defense caught, and he's into the end zone for the touchdown. Here's Craig Grigalou and Mike Jarecki. So the subject of jerseys came up during Vance Joseph's video conference call earlier, MJ, and I'm going to put you on the spot. If you were to choose a jersey, regardless of sport, regardless of team, what would you wear? Well, I'm a football nut. I'd probably wear number 11. Oh, that's the easy way out. I I could say Murray, but I I don't have a Murray jersey. I I have two jerseys in my closet if you want me to pull them out. One's (laughs) number 28. Not for any particular player. It's my favorite number. And then I have a Frank Sanders 81 jersey, and I would like to have Anquan Bolden's jersey. So I'll go Bolden, just some low-hanging fruit here. (laughs) Fair enough. Full disclosure, I've got a 55 jersey. In fact, got it for my daughter. Her choice, her decision, the fact that Chandler Jones went to Syracuse paid no uh reasoning behind it but uh she rocks the number 55 on Sundays. Well, that's a good decision. Yes. She's and, she's uh she's taking that Syracuse angle and she's making her her dad very happy. To that or, you know, 67 for Justin Pugh, but uh you know. Yeah, 55 looks better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, <laughs> get into the show here today and we're going to start with a roster move. This was announced Prior to practice Hang on a earlier second. this where, where what? are we going with this? Did Vance Joseph mention about his kids? Oh, yeah. That's right. You know what? We should bring up. That's right. <laughs> Burying the lead here. All right. Vance Joseph, because the subject came up because, you know, families usually go to games, and now it's the questions people want to know. What are you doing on game day if you can't go to the stadium? Yeah. So the question was asked to Coach Joseph, and he says his son's got a number of jerseys including 55, because Chandler Jones is a neighbor, also Kyler Murray. But how about his daughter? Where's 43 for Hassan Reddick? I thought that was pretty cool. Really cool. And, and, and you know, obviously Vance is a big fan of Hassan and, and vice versa, and they believe in this guy. And, you know, he, again, I'm rooting for him. Um, you know, we're not supposed to root, but I, I like what he does on and off the field, and I think he's a true professional. And, you know, I hope uh, hope he has a good year. And you asked me the other day, and I said they need him. Um, right now, the way the roster is constructed, um, he's got experience, and I think he's settling to his role. So it's nice to see that uh, she recognizes that Vance's daughter does too. Yeah, and Coach was very complimentary of Reddick because even though inside linebacker wasn't a great spot for him, never complained, tried to make it work. And that's what you want from your players. And if it doesn't work out, then you find something else. And the Cardinals hope that they have found something, at least they did for one game, at outside linebacker because he played very, very well. 
Yeah, and you know, you look at guys like uh, Ezekiel Turner and Chris Banjo and Hassan Reddick. Um, you look at some of these guys that are rotation players. Um, you know, Patrick mentioned uh, during his media that you know your five star players got to show up, but it's nice to see different names. We weren't talking about Jordan Phillips last year. We weren't talking about Devondre Campbell. Um, you know, Black's Black Sun. I mean, and then you throw in Kennard. And, you know, these guys have made a difference. So it's nice to see that, you know, obviously we're not just talking about starters. And and usually you're only as good as your backups. And we know that's next man up. But sometimes at positions it could be difficult. Well, those four players that you mentioned specifically on defense, those new faces have kind of brought a different dimension, if you will, on and off the field with respect to the defense. Yeah, I've been I've been asking around, and you know, I asked Vance about it um, today, and the mention that the guys I mentioned, Phillips, Kennard, Blackson, and Campbell, I thought they brought some grit and physicality to that to that game. Now, granted, it didn't start off when they're down ten nothing, but over the course of the four quarters, I thought they looked like a different defense, and you know, that was the idea in the offseason to kind of upgrade certain positions. You know, some of those guys I mentioned are starters. Um, but I, I really like where they are now, you know, just because lack of preseason and we'll get into what Vance said about, you know, Isaiah Simmons and how many snaps that he obviously missed. But I think it's going to take 25 percent of the season for this. You know, there's things to build on. Uh, obviously, you want to win week to week. But I, I think when we get past the first four games, Craig, we'll start to see this defense gel together. And we thought that going in based on the starters. Now, the offense you know, they had a slow start, but they they made plays when they had to in the in the second half. Yeah, it was really, at least for me, that the defense became the story. I know everyone talked about DeAndre Hopkins, and they should because of the 14 catches, but that game was won with the defense on the field late in that ball game, and Peterson brought that up as well a year ago at San Francisco, and we discussed it. They couldn't get that end-of-game stop. And as you pointed out, I mean, when you get a, a blocked punt, that's on the defense. And then the Cardinals were able to score right away, and that's you talk about momentum. And then obviously the goal line uh, stance, and, and that was Kennard and Campbell. I mean, Kennard usually lines up on the light side. You usually go north and south. You don't try to get cute and go to the pylon. Um, but again, uh, I, I like what they've done, and clearly they had an idea when they went out and signed those guys. And you know, and, and we'll get into the latest on Jalen Thompson with Chris Banjo because. Uh, there's going to be a little bit of drop-off, but I do like the fact that one has experience. Well, Banjo played 58 of the 62 snaps in Week 1 because Thompson, as you mentioned, went out very early in that contest. And earlier today, as we finally get to the roster move, placed <laughs> on injured reserve because of an ankle injury. Now, IR this season means that he is going to miss at least three games and he can come back at any point after those three games, and that goes for any player this season that is placed on injured reserve. One, you have to miss three games, and two, you can come back. Previously, it was eight games you had to miss, and you could only designate two guys to come back, so a little bit different, which is nice for teams because you're not losing a roster spot or feel like you're losing a player for a significant chunk of the season. We saw Richard Sherman placed on IR by the 49ers. Typically that would mean, well, he's going to miss half the season. Well, if you have an injury that you know is going to be out two to three weeks, well, you know what? Put him on IR, let him get rested, get rehab, and then bring someone in 
that can take that spot and be on the field while the other guy is in the back, you know, making sure that he can eventually get back on the field. Well, it was put in for COVID. I mean, if, if you had some a position group or, you know, a couple guys on the team and, you know, they had to be quarantined for 14 days and then they get back, you know, based on testing. So it was really put in for COVID. Um, but again, I think it's a, it's a good luxury. And, you know, a lot of times you got to make that decision because you can only bring certain amount of guys back. Uh, this year it's a little bit different. And I think the league is, is aware of if they do have positive tests, but this is a little bit different. This is an injury and I'm sure he's going to get treatment around the clock because, you know, the good news is he's, he's going to be able to play at least 12, 12 games if we get to October. Um, so they need him. Um, he was obviously a starter for a reason. Yeah, and taking his spot on the roster, another safety, Curtis Riley, signed off the Steelers practice squad. Here's someone who's got some decent size, 6 feet, 203 pounds, his sixth NFL season, but could not find a home with the Steelers as far as the active roster is concerned. But 43 games, 19 starts over a period of time with the Raiders, Giants, and then three seasons with the Titans undrafted rookie free agent in 2015 out of Fresno State. So we might see a new player in that secondary, Curtis Riley, wearing number 35 for the Cardinals. Yeah, and we look at, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. I mean, it's hard to gauge against the Giants with the new coaching staff. Saquon Barkley couldn't get out of his own way. But, you know, you, you just look at it from, you know, everyone talks about T.J. Watt and their linebackers, but, Mika Fitzpatrick, I think that I think they're solid at all three levels, so it's not a surprise that he couldn't find a spot. But obviously, he comes in with that Pittsburgh mentality uh, when it comes to playing physical football. A couple of other items as far as injuries. Once again, for the second straight day, tight end Max Williams did not practice because of an ankle injury. That's something to pay attention to. We get more into that on Friday when the final injury report is released. The other one is Mason Cole, hamstring injury. He did not practice for a second straight day. So if you put two and two together, I'm certainly leaning towards seeing Lamont Gilliard as your starting center this coming week. If for no other reason, well, I'll give you two reasons. One, Mason Cole hasn't practiced. And two, as luck would have it, Gilliard addressed the media after practice today. So I would think we will see him make his first NFL start after his first NFL action in week one. Yeah, what, what an impressive young man. I mean, you talk about a, you know, a guy that played in a ton of games at Georgia. We talk about how many defense alignment come out of that conference. And, you know, last year he didn't get a single snap. And so, I mean, being in the system, it couldn't be easy for a guy that was, you know, a draft pick and, you know, he played in a great conference and he, he's, he's been the captain and he, he's, he's been the centers has been his natural position. He did play a little guard. So I don't think it's a, a huge drop off. I mean, obviously experience wise, because Mason played all 16 games over a thousand snaps, but I think Gilliard is a little more athletic and a little bit stronger in, in the anchor. Not to say Cole hasn't gained weight. Obviously Cole has experience. They're comfortable with both guys. And once again, um, it's good to have depth on the team. And, and the fact is, you know, even though he didn't play last year, he's been in the system for two years, and he spoke very highly of Sean Coogler, which his job is to get these guys ready. It was interesting to hear Gilliard talk about his rookie season, much like D.J. Humphreys. I mean, Humphreys was inactive all season long. Gilliard was inactive for 14 games, dressed twice, but didn't see the field. 
And he was very open and honest when asked about that sitting and watching after you get used to playing all the time. Quote, it was very stressful at first. And then he added annoying as well. And I can only imagine when you are accustomed to being on the field and then told, hey, you know what? It's not your turn right now. And that for a lot of players is a blow to the ego. And you can go one of two ways. You can do what Lamont Gilliard did or DJ Humphreys, sit back, watch, learn, put in the work, or you develop this attitude like, what are you talking about? I should be on the field. And then all of a sudden you're lost and the team will discard you. I applaud Gilliard for his attitude and his work ethic. And it's now paying off. Yeah. And, and he also told him, Coog said, your day will come. You, you can't predict it. It could have happened mid-season. It could have happened, you know, in December. But he said, just just be patient. Your time will come. And, you know, obviously you got to put the work in because everything's filmed. Uh, they, they don't break down the practices. You don't want to have mental errors. And, you know, uh, it sounds like he maybe gets some assistance on some of the line calls. But Kyler Murray was very uh, confident with him being in there. So, again, it's good to have depth. And it's nice to see some of these draft picks kind of pan out, whether they're starters or rotation guys. And remember what Justin Pugh had said earlier in the week. He called Gilliard the MVP when he walked into that huddle. And Gilliard basically said, all right, let's keep this going. And he was on the field for those big fourth-quarter drives and ultimately win the ball game for the Cardinals. And it's certainly going to be a tough task this week because, once again, you're facing a great front in Washington, which we addressed yesterday. How about today, MJ? We talk about this Washington offense, go a little bit more in depth, because on the surface, it's not a great offense. Yeah, they scored 27 points, but those touchdown drives, as we mentioned earlier, 45, 20, and 48 yards. But when you hear Cardinal players talk about Washington or Vance Joseph, two things. One, they're young. Two, very, very fast when you're talking about quarterback, running back, and wide receivers. Yeah, and, you know, I, I go back to when Patrick Peterson returned last year and they played the Giants, and, you know, Daniel Jones is more of a pocket passer. Um, you know, a lot of these guys can run like Josh Allen has and, and some other quarterbacks that are a little bit taller. Um, but, you know, Haskins, according to the story I read earlier in the week, I mean, he's getting rid of the ball quickly. He's got the arm strength. Um, he's got some new weapons on offense. Um, but, you know, a lot of times they're having him going a three and a five and seven step drop. And he's putting that back foot in the ground and he's making the throw. So he's got a really strong arm. And what I thought Patrick said, you know, I asked him, do you, cause if he's going on a three, five and seven, you got to hope you get pressure. And a lot of times the secondary has to kind of plaster their coverage. And Patrick said, if we can have tight coverage, force him to throw in tight windows, they believe they can get some, uh, turnovers based on that but easier said than done quote we want to make it as tough as possible this is patrick peterson earlier today as far as haskins completing passes and we know he's certainly going to look in the direction of his college teammate at ohio state terry mclaurin who last year as a rookie huge first season almost a thousand yards receiving and seven touchdowns so now you've got a quarterback and a wide receiver growing together much like kyler murray and deandre hopkins but Haskins is one of those quarterbacks in year two, MJ, that we don't hear a lot about. Maybe we're just in our own little bubble here and focused on Kyler Murray. But when you talk about young quarterbacks, he's he's not top of mind. And I don't know if that's because of his struggles in his first year or just because of everything else 
that has been going on with Washington, mainly off the field, that has kind of affected things on the field as far as when people bring up Washington? Well, I think, you know, based on hiring Ron Rivera, and, you know, obviously they, they fired Jay Gruden last year, who's now in Jacksonville as the OC. You know, I, I, I think they're in the re, reset button, the rebuild button, and they could have went with Alex Smith. Now, I mean, playing and, and being on a 53 Madden roster is a big difference. And, you know, maybe, you know, they were concerned about Smith, but it's a great story. But, yeah, it's a small sample. Um, you know, the thing is, is, is the game slowing down for him? Is he able to read defenses? Cause in college, I mean, these guys just put the hash marks. They just throw the ball. I mean, and, you, and, and a lot of times their athletes are much uh, superior than some of the teams they're playing. But, you know, I, I think it was the right choice. Um, you look in that division, you know, you got some young quarterbacks in there, uh, between Daniel Jones and Wentz and they throw him in there and then Dak Prescott. So I think they, they kind of want to have that young quarterback for the future. And again, they're really young. They they have talent. They have really good running backs that have speed. Um, but I don't know if they're ready to compete right away. I think they want to show improvement week in and week out. Well, certainly they showed when you give them a short field, they'll be able to take advantage of that. And that's what you want any offense to do. But I think that's the defense's job for Washington this season to make it as easy as possible for Dwayne Haskins and company. Don't put a lot of pressure on them. And if you're the Cardinals defensively, you, you, if you can get into a shootout, and I don't think that will happen because I just don't think this Washington offense is capable of putting up 25-plus points, uh, especially if they've got to go, you know, 80, 90 yards the length of the field to score. Well, I mean, when you look at a Ron Rivera-type team, we know his defensive background's a 4-3. Um, Jack Del Rio is the defensive coordinator, so I'm assuming he's making the calls based on the game plan during the week. But, you know, Ron Rivera with different players, he had the Cardinals number. I mean, Luke Keekley, Thomas Davis, you look at Quan Short. Um, but they're playing a similar defense. They just don't have the personnel. So we'll see if Del Rio puts a spy on Murray. Um, does he try to keep him in the pocket because that could be dangerous? And they roll coverage on, on Hopkins because yeah, I, I got to think Fitz is going to be more involved. I got to think Christian Kirk's more involved. We talked about Andy Isabella maybe getting his his opportunities again. They're not going to force it. And then Dan Arnold, and then you know we know Chase is going to get more opportunities and Kenyon Drake probably more in the running game. So yeah, but it's you know the the thing is is that I think they they feel like you know if this if this group can stay together because they've invested so many picks there that they could be uh, you know in the upper echelon when it comes to you know stopping the run. I don't know if if they have enough guys to to get those sacks. I know it was you know three or four different guys, but that's very impressive in the NFL to have eight sacks. And it all starts with Ryan Kerrigan, very underrated player, and then obviously Chase Young. Yeah, defense first mentality with Washington. Quick note, though, on the offensive side, and it was interesting to hear Vance Joseph talk about Washington as a whole, and he went through everyone, it seemed like. But a couple of things, in fact. One was he was surprised when he watched the tape on just the speed of this Washington offense, and he admitted that he doesn't has not watched any Washington tape since he was in Denver and Alex Smith was the quarterback. Smith now listed as third string with Kyle Allen as the backup. But he specifically brought up J.D. McKissick, the starting running back, who was a little bit quiet last week. It was Peyton Barber who had the two touchdowns. But according to Joseph, McKissick 
quote, scares me, end quote. And then he alluded to how successful the 49ers running backs were, especially out of the backfield. So it's not the tight end. It's not the tight end so far. It's the running back. So maybe we see that shored up here in week two. Yeah, because, um, you know, you just look at their offense and McKissick's a guy that has speed, but you know, the Cardinals defense held the Niners to four receptions from their wide receivers. Now granted they didn't have, uh, you know, Debo Samuel or Brian, uh, Brandon IU. Um, but obviously you know how I feel when it comes to tight ends and, and running backs, it's a mismatch for linebackers. So they got to do tighten things up where you don't let those guys run off to the races. Like, uh, you know, what happened last week with uh, San Francisco. So I was, I would assume that's a point of emphasis going into this game. Um, but again, if the Cardinals can can kind of um, copy what they did last week, I mean, I want to say the Niners were one for four in the red zone. The Cardinals got them off the field on third down. The Cardinals converted on third down on offense. Um, it'd, be, it'd be nice, to, first of all, just get the W, but it'd be nice if this team can have a lead in the fourth quarter where, you know, maybe you could not call off the dogs, but be able to run the football and win at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. And he... as Vance pointed out, when teams start to fall behind, that or it was asked to Larry, how can Chandler Jones break the record? And he said, if we can play with a lead in the fourth quarter and we automatically teams got to throw the football, that's going to possibly put him in that 20-22 range. So I thought it was a good observation from Larry. On the uh, subject of the 67-yard touchdown uh, uh, by the 49ers, that was the one thing that I think really stuck out to coach Joseph because he mentioned it a couple of times and then he added that's high school football, meaning NFL defenses. If you're good, don't allow that to happen. And I'm sure that was, if not the first play on film, at least one of the top two or three plays on the film, because that will drive a coach mad on the sidelines. Yeah. And it happened early. So I'm sure that was part of the film session when they started and, as, as we pointed out throughout the course of the week, maybe more on Monday, uh, when you win, it's a little bit easier to correct stuff. When you lose, and if you're on a losing streak, now guys start thinking, all right, I did my job, but the guy next to me didn't do a job. And that's not the case here. But uh, you can correct your mistakes, win or lose. But when you win, you're like, okay, we can be better than this. You know, if we put out, you know, clean up on the tackling, you know, don't have, you know, horse collar penalties. I know you're trying to make a tackle. Then this team could be better overall so that, that's something to look for in the first month of the season and it was Isaiah Simmons in coverage on that 67 yard touchdown by Raheem Mostert certainly one of those plays that stands out it would have stood out even more if this team had lost but now we're talking about a first round draft pick and Simmons who in week one certainly not as advertised he struggled there was the horse collar tackle that you mentioned on George Kittle and then that busted coverage or just didn't have the right stance. And, you know, you can fault everyone on the field, but certainly when you're the guy in coverage, you're going to get the bulk of the attention, bulk of the blame. And that certainly is what happened right now to Simmons. Well, he took a bad angle, and, and, and it's never a good thing when you're challenging the play. Um, and you could just see that, you know, uh, Mostert, he was able to kind of read it, and, and there was open field. So, I mean, it, you hope it doesn't happen, but again, he's not going to have the same angles he had in college. These guys are a lot faster, they're stronger, um, they're physical. Uh, but again, I, when he watches the film, he'll learn. 
and it sounds like just listening for to Vance Joseph that you know aside from those two plays, and I know you can't disregard those two plays, but that's what people, that's what fans are focused on. But Coach Joseph made it sound like Simmons actually played better or played a little bit more uh, like they anticipated him from the gate as the game progressed because, according to Coach Joseph, Simmons did make, quote, three or four nice tackles when covering George Kittle, who, according to Joseph, had one catch when Simmons was in coverage seven or eight times. And I think that is something that got lost because we're not paying attention to that. It's just what are the glaring mistakes as opposed to, hey, you know what, at least he got better, he improved as the game went on, and all of a sudden, maybe they do have something in Simmons as far as him being able to cover the tight end position. Yeah, that's encouraging. Well, we always look at the end result. You know, Nobody wants to know the objects, how they got down there and stuff. And one other thing he pointed out, and you can make the case for every team that first-round picks, is he missed 1,200 snaps in the offseason you know, between OTAs, uh, mandatory uh, mini camp, and then training camp where – I think it's more in the off season because he was getting reps in training camp, but 1,200 reps, that's a lot. I mean, I listened to Bruce Harrians last night, and he said Brady probably only had 500 reps in their, in their off season stuff. So, again, that's why I think it's, it's going to take time for these teams to come together. Quoting Joseph on Simmons, I knew it was going to be a learning curve for Isaiah, end quote, because, you know, as you mentioned, he missed so much time. And it just, you know, 1,200 snaps, that's a lot. But you're talking about rookie minicamp. You're talking about OTAs, minicamp, and the other two weeks that rookies are allowed to stay after the veterans leave. And then, of course, as you brought up, no preseason. So 1,200 sounds like a lot, but maybe if you really break it down, it's a drop in the bucket. That's every player before you get to week one has had probably over a 1,000 snaps, physical snaps, on a football field. And here is what Simmons missed as rest of the entire 2020 draft class. Yeah, and, and, and again, that's why I think we need to temper the expectations. I, I'm, you know, I'm curious as everyone else about you know, his snap count. But listen, in sub-packages, he's one of their better players. Now it's just a matter of him getting comfortable and more confident. And, you know, he'll start to see things. Because your eyes are big. When you're a linebacker, your eyes got to be in the right spot if you want to take different angles. And, you know, listening to Campbell and Hicks, they've been thoroughly impressed with him, with his approach, his, his, his football IQ. We, I don't think anyone's questioning the player. It's just him kind of falling into the, the guy that they drafted. And, again, not so much in the secondary, but more in the front seven. Well, in the words of Vance Joseph, Simmons quotes, just needs more time on the job, end quote. And then the fact that you're not able to simulate in training camp the physicality and the speed of an NFL game. And Simmons got knocked around. Um, and, and I don't think that was to be expected just because how big he is. But in college, you're the biggest man on your team, the biggest man on the field. In the NFL, you're amongst there are so many guys like you or bigger, stronger than you. And uh, that's, you know, you go from college to the pro, that's a big leap, even at a big-time school like Clemson. 
Yeah, and you know, the thing is with him, I, we we got a chance during the open portion of training camp um, and some of the uh, practices when he when they're doing their drills, you could see he needs to get stronger. Now, I think he'd be a, a an issue for a possibly a, a right or left tackle because of his arm length. I, I think it'd be difficult to get inside of him, but they can also just shut a block and throw him to the side. But watching some of the drills. You know, and again, he, we'll have this conversation next year, year one to two, and hopefully everything's going according to plan in the off season. And he'll put some weight on, and he'll get stronger, and he'll get a lot smarter from just knowing that you know I can't, I'm not going to win every play, but I'm going to compete at every play. So again, just temper the uh, the expectations. But there's a reason why uh, this guy is very athletic. He can do a lot of different things, and he can help you win on Sundays. And it's not just Coach Joseph that noted how well Simmons responded to some early adversity. Devondre Campbell, when he addressed the media earlier this week, mentioned the same thing. Quote, that's what the NFL is about. Have a short-term memory, end quote. So you get burned for a couple of plays early in the game. You try to shake it off the best you can. He was praised. He was uh, told you know, don't put so much pressure on yourself on the sidelines talking about Isaiah Simmons and then go back out there, which we did see him in the second half. And I think he played a little bit better, but grand scheme of things, what are we talking about? The 67 yard touchdown, the horse collar tackle drawing the penalty. That right now is the first impression. And for many, the last impression for Isaiah Simmons in terms of week one. Yeah, but it was encouraging how Vance said he played in the second half and whether George Kittle was 100% or not. You know, he missed the last play in, in the first half and he played whether he was a decoy. Um, but again, you can build on that stuff. You know, you go and say, I just covered one of the best, if not the best tight end. Obviously, look at the salary. That's what the Niners think about him. So you can build on that. And again, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be peaks and valleys, at least his first season in the NFL. Cardinal fans, make sure you subscribe to Arizona Cardinals podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Listen to your favorite shows on the go like Cardinals Underground, The Big Red Rage, The Cardinals Red Sea Report, and, of course, this show, Cardinals Cover 2. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts for more. As we continue here on this Thursday edition of Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals Week two now in only a matter of days, Sunday afternoon, 105, the kickoff at State Farm Stadium. Home opener, although without fans, the first of two straight at home. And this is, you know, across the league, there are teams that are playing with no fans in attendance. Bird Gang, we'll see if that changes when the Cardinals return to State Farm Stadium in October. But week one did not seem to affect either team, really. But there are some teams that do have fans, yet I know there's something that you want to bring up as far as how teams held training camp versus what the Cardinals did in training camp. Well, Patrick said, you know, until they got that block punt and then they scored on the next possession, he said, you know, that's when they kind of got some momentum on the sidelines. And, you know, you got to create that. And so I've been thinking, and, and you know, I talked to you about it on air and, you said, in fairness to you, you said, I need to see more in order to come up with a, an educated uh, answer. And then I asked Cliff, and he kind of said, well, you know, we'll see, just like you. So you guys were thinking the same way. And then Larry was asked today, you know, what was it like going there? And he said, we know there's not going to be no fans. But Larry mentioned that practicing 
23 times at State Farm Stadium. The Cardinals, they don't, they didn't have any fans this year. Um, obviously, the media is only to watch a certain portion of practice. So I think they feel comfortable. Now, for other teams, you know, sometimes the stadium is a little bit ways away from your facility, very similar to Arizona. But usually they'll go there for a scrimmage or they'll go there for like a walkthrough, like dress rehearsal. And for the rookies and guys that haven't been on the roster, they get a chance to see the stadium. The Cardinals literally practice every day in their own stadium with no fans. So I do think that's going to help them versus, you know, obviously, you know, practicing in tent being the bubble because it's too hot. Uh, we'll see. I mean, again, I'm not saying they're going to go unbeaten at home, uh, but I like the fact that this is their – they know every blade of grass there. They know, you know, obviously if the, if the roof's open, they know which way the wind's blowing. They know. So I, I feel like it's an advantage, but, you know, it's really going to come down to blocking and tackling and forcing turnovers. But I, I do think they have an advantage, and I'm sure other teams are thinking, man, we just don't have the capability to go over there, you know, every day and, and practice. So we'll see. Yeah, the Cardinals know what it's going to look like. They know what it's going to sound like. And I think, you know, you might have a point there. And we'll see if it works on Sunday and then the following week against Detroit. But it is what it, it's it goes back to what we hear coaches say is the inability to simulate in training camp what week one is going to be because without a preseason, coaches took different uh, ways to either work on tackling or trying to figure out, you know, were rookies, first-year players going to be able to contribute? How do we get them ready and prepared? And one of the ways the Cardinals, and they've done this for a couple of years now since leaving Flagstaff, is to be able to hold training camp at their home stadium and allows them, allows some of those new faces a little different uh, or maybe an easier way and, a, and a, a quicker way for them to figure out, hey, this is my new surroundings now on Sundays. Yeah, and, you know, I'm sure, you know, they're going to, when they announce the team coming out of the tunnel, you know, we saw Larry kind of joking around trying to get the crowd going. It was, you know, it was only, uh, only there was uh, Michael Bidwell and Steve Kime up there, but it was kind of funny. Um, but we know the Cardinals have used crowd noise throughout training camp. And what the NFL did, they went back to four years of each team's home games, and they tried to figure out the decimal level between 70 and 75. I kind of think some of those Packer games got to be in there. <laughs> Anyways, so I just think that there, it's like when they, like I'm sure there were butterflies at the NFL. Some guys in there were playing the NFL last week. Here, it's like, this is where I work at. Now, you still got to go out there and play the game, but I think they're more prepared uh, to take care of business at home this year than they had in previous years. And, Bird Gang, just to know th this as far as at least what happened at Levi Stadium, uh, our producer, Jim O'Mahunder, noted that what was heard at the stadium was different than what was heard if you watched it on TV. So I don't know, again, I don't know what it's going to sound like in the stadium versus what it's going to sound like on Fox, but there were two different uh, crowd noises, if you will, what the players hear and then what the fans hear because the TV broadcast is something that I think some networks are doing a little bit different as far as how to bring football more to life without the benefit of fans in attendance. So I don't know if that's going to be the same thing at State Farm Stadium, 
But at Levi's Stadium, Paul Calvisi and Darren Urban, who were on location, uh, what they heard was different than what you and I, MJ, heard on the broadcast. Well, that's going to be interesting because we do watch the, the broadcast and we listen to the broadcast. But being there now, we're in a closed uh, press box. So we'll see. But I know what it sounds like. And, and there are times it gets very loud. Absolutely. Well, just how many times did opposing offenses get flagged for offsides, false starts? I mean, that was one of those stats that certainly Seattle and, and the 12th man get a lot of attention for. But the Cardinals, I think, might even have a higher number of penalties that the Bird Gang, the crowd at State Farm Stadium, has been able to force since that building opened. Yeah. Over the last few years, you know, even though they haven't won a lot of home games, but they do get more false starts. Seattle's been open a little bit longer, but uh, it, it was kind of neck and neck. And I think the Cardinals have a few more right now. Um, but we know how, how much home field advantage means to teams like the Seahawks and Cardinals. You know, protect the nest. Um, when Larry makes a play, everyone goes bonkers. So that that's going to be missing, and that's a disappointing thing. But as you pointed out, I think we're going to see more teams once they get clearance from the, the health board and maybe each state's a little bit different when it comes to rules and regulations. You know, we can't predict anything, um, but I, I think October we can hear more. But they've already announced that weeks two and three, uh, there'll be no fans. I wonder if we'll get a piped-in Larry, Larry, Larry chant <laughs> on Sunday. That'll, that'll be fascinating <laughs> if we do. It would. <laughs> I never even thought about that. Well, we'll we'll keep our fingers crossed and uh, something to pay attention to. And, of course, MJ, uh, you know your homework assignment for tomorrow. We'll preview the Week 2 matchup against Washington as the Cardinals look to go 2-0 and for the first time since 2015 and uh, perhaps with a new center snapping the ball to Kyler Murray. And on that note, that will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Special thanks, as always, to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro. For Mike Jarecki, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.